0: with our class today okay well welcome everyone and uh, glad to see all your bright smiling faces this morning Uh, I guess that the owls had a little uh, adventure out was yesterday I believe so That was good, glad to see Summer being getting back together and having a little fellowship time. So that was good. Um, Now, where did you go, the the county house? Where? Oh, it was here, yeah, okay. Oh, it was the meeting, that's right, planning meeting, yeah. I'm getting confused, sorry about that. All right, well, at least we're getting together and uh, enjoying fellowship and stuff, and that's a good thing. By the way, if you've not filled out the roster yet today, uh, be sure and do that before you leave today. And uh, got some good weather today, so I hope you enjoy this uh, first day of the week, this Sunday. I think it's supposed to be almost 80 today, right? So it's going to be nice. Had a little rain yesterday. And by the way, if uh, April showers bring Mayflowers, what do Mayflowers bring? Pilgrims! Yeah. Thought you would all know that one, right? All right. Spring, I think, is about upon us. I've had to turn the fan on in my bedroom, so that means it's getting hot, and uh, you know, you enjoy the cold weather because you can bottle up, but then you start getting tired of all the cold weather, and then you're ready for it to get hot again, and then you get hot and you have to turn on the fan, and it starts costing you lots of money, right, and the the air conditioner, so. It's one thing or another, isn't it? All right, before we begin today, we need to go over our prayer list. Uh, A few to mention on our our request are Jennifer McCoy, is waiting results from an annual liver MRI. She's, um, I guess she's having issues there, so please remember her, and uh, of course, Calvin being out of the country. Remember the McCoy family and our prayers. Uh, Brian Adams, 84-year-old aunt, Bernice Sykes, fell and broke her shoulder, and uh, she's had to have a feeding tube inserted to help her gain strength, so please remember uh, Brian's uh, uh, aunt at this time. Uh, Cassidy, Earl, and Cheryl Manning's daughter's having an MRI to determine if she has fluid built up on her eye. So please remember the Manning family as well at this time. And uh, Phil Wright's in Arkansas with his father Leo who had prostate surgery on the 8th. I know Phil was going to be with him for a little while. So um, please remember Phil's father as he's recovering from that. And then know, many of you know uh, Sister Melba Phillips uh, who's Jennifer Fancher, still member here, grandmother and former member of course with her and Phil. She's been diagnosed with advanced leukemia, so, and it looks like it's terminal. So please, please remember the Phillips family and Jennifer at this time. Now, of course, many of you know Melba and Phillip who were members here for years, and uh, that doesn't look good. So please continue to move. Yes, ma'am. Okay. Okay. So Melba's birthday is the 17th, next Saturday, I guess, or Sunday. Okay, Emily's requesting a question, a card shower for her on her birthday, the 17th, so it's on Facebook. You can look her up and get her address there if you want to send her a card. They're in Chattanooga area. Uh, is it Hickson they're living in? It's Hickson? Yeah, okay, that's what I thought. All right, uh, anybody else we need to be remembering before we begin today? All right, let's go to our Father in prayer at this time before we begin class. Our Father in heaven, we, we praise you and honor you as our God and our Father. Father, and we thank you for the blessings that you uh have bestowed upon us in this congregation, and our families, Father, in our personal lives, and we just thank you for the blessing that you did when you sent Jesus, uh, that we might have a hope of eternal life uh, in the future and, and, in this, and an abundant life here on earth. Father, we thank you for that blessing. We thank you for the love that you have for us, uh, that you would send your son as a sacrifice, a sacrificial lamb for us. We ask you to be with this congregation, Father, at this time, help it to continue to grow and thrive spiritually, that we might be a light on a hill in a dark world in this community, Father. And we just ask you to be with those who have been mentioned here who are are ailing or sick or suffering a loss, Father. We ask you to be with them. Help them to be healed if possible and comforted and help us to know how to deal with them and and comfort and edify and and all that stuff, Father, as as brethren of these people. uh, We just ask you to help us to know how to do that, too. Uh, Sometimes that's hard to know and uh, as we've been studying in the book of John about the love we need to have for each other, Father, we ask that you would help us to, to have that love and that, and that growing, growing spiritual love uh, with our brethren. But as you be with us during this class time today, that we may be able to take something from your word that we can, we can apply in our lives that's, a, that's a, a helpful to us uh, spiritually, that we might grow that way and we might be able to apply it and we might be a good example to others around us as well. And Father, we ask you to be with this nation at this time, uh, uh, help our leaders to somehow seek out your will, Father, that it might be done in this nation and in this world, Father. Uh, it's a dark world, and we thank you for sending your son into it, as we've studied in, in the Gospel of John, uh, who became a light for this dark world, Father, and help us to be able to, to shine that light in a way that, that others can see. Be with us uh, the rest of this month, the rest of this week, as we go and work and, uh, and school, whatever it is we're doing, Father, we might be good examples. And we thank you for Jesus Christ who, uh, who died for us. It's in his name we pray. Amen. All right. I mentioned in there we're talking about hope. We have that hope as we've talked about last few weeks, of course. Uh, the book of John is a great gospel to study when we're talking about hope and love and charity and those things. We read about that in, the, what, in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, right? The chapter of love the, where Paul says, you know, the great, three great things faith, hope, and love. The greatest of these is love. And John, the Gospel of John, is just rampant with that word, right? Rampant with talking about what love is, what love for the Father is, what love for the brethren is, and how we conduct ourselves with that love. And we have that hope. And that hope, it's interesting, some, hope is something that, when we think about it, what, what do we think about when we think about hope? You know, it's, it's, it's kind of like, um, it's something we're not sure is going to happen, maybe, right? We hope something's going to happen, well, we don't know for sure that it's going to happen, right? We hope we're going to be healthy. We hope we're going to find a job when we don't have. We hope we're going to grow to a ripe old age. We hope things, right? But in the scripture, when we read the word hope, the meaning there is really more about it's assured. It's an assurance, a hope of eternal life that we know we're going to have. We have it now, and it's a promise that we can grasp a hold of. It's a promise that we see coming, and we know it's going to be there. It's not something we're hoping, we, we think might happen, we wish might happen. If you believe, you know it's going to happen. That's what that means. And I hope that's something, as I just said, that you would grasp onto, that you would try to understand that. We have a hope that's a promise, and that promise is something we can hold on to, and we can be assured that it's going to happen. Of course, we've been reading and studying the Gospel of John the last few months. Let's turn back over to John, chapter 20. And of course, we got to read the very scriptures that John wrote that said why he wrote it, right? John, chapter 20, verse 30. And truly, Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written, that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. You see... John's telling us we can have abundant life now. Not in the future, not many years from now. It's right now. When you were baptized into Christ, you were baptized into eternal life. We don't really grasp that sometimes, do we? We don't understand what that means. We're always looking forward to eternity, right? But in reality, you're in eternity now. That began when you were born again. That began when you became a Christian, and as we'll see today, that began when you became a child of God. Last few weeks, we've been reading about the greatest prayer ever prayed in the Gospel of John. And so in previous lessons, we talked about how it's kind of divided. You can kind of see a division that Jesus prayed there. The first few verses, he's praying for himself more or less. He's saying, Father, glorify your son. He was saying, glorify me, put me back to that glory I had with you before the creation of the world. We read about that in John chapter 1. The word was with God, and the word was God, and the word became flesh, in John 1, 14, and dwelt among men. That glory he had in heaven with the Father beforehand. He's saying, glorify your son, because he had glorified the Father. And how he'd done that? He had carried out his will. He had carried out his doctrine, his commandments in this life. And he had delivered that to his disciples. And then in the next few verses, from about 6 to 19 in chapter 17, we read where he prayed for his disciples, the ones that were with him, right? He prayed for several things, of course. He prayed for their unity. He, he prayed that the Father would keep them because he was leaving them. He was going back to heaven. He was going back to sit at the right hand of God to reign in his kingdom. And he was leaving them and he wanted to make sure they were preserved because he had kept them while he was here. And then in the next few verses, he's going to pray for something else. And let's turn over to John chapter 17 and just look at that. John chapter 17, and let's begin in verse 20. We've read this before, but we're going to look at it a little closer today. John 17, verse 20. I do not pray for these alone, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they all may be one as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be one in us, that the world... ...may believe that you sent me, and the glory which you gave me I have given them, that they may be one, just as we are one, I in them, and you in me, that they may be made perfect in one, and that the world may know that you have sent me, and have loved them as you have loved me. Father, I desire that they also whom you gave me may be with me where I am, that they may behold my glory which you have given me, for you love me before the foundation of the world." O righteous Father, the world has not known you, but I have known you, and these have known that you sent me, and I have declared to them your name, and you will declare it, and the, that the love with which you love me may be in them, and I in them. Those who would come to believe in Jesus, through the teaching of the apostles. He's praying for them. Those who, are includes, who includes everyone who believes in Jesus today. In other words, He's praying for us, he's praying for us and those who have come after the disciples, those who will hear the word that was preached through the disciples who became apostles and became the greatest missionary team, society, whatever you wanna call it, that ever existed. And remember why? Why were they able to become so powerful? Well, they believed, right? They believed he was sent from God Because of that resurrection, right? Jesus died for for their sins, for our sins, and they still didn't get it quite, right? They didn't necessarily understand what was going on until they were able to see him risen again. And oh, that was powerful. That really did it for them. Of course, that spirit came to them. They got the spirit to help them out, and they became the most powerful missionary group that's ever been, spreading the gospel into all the world. What a powerful statement that jesus is making here through their word he's praying the greatest prayer ever prayed that we could believe and thank god for that right praise god for that well in this final lesson we're going to do on the prayer we're going to look at what his desire was for us necessarily what he wanted for us to know to 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 do as christians as children of god and how we are to carry out our lives first of all he said what in verse 21 let's go back over there and just look at it for a second verse 21 he said if I can get there that they all may be one as you father are in me and I in you that they also may be one in us that the world may believe that you sent me you see he wanted them to be unified one one entity one church one group Turn over to Genesis chapter 2. I want to talk about this oneness for a second. It's very prevalent throughout Scripture. You see it all the time. You see unity, oneness. And I want to go back to the very beginning. When God instituted marriage, Genesis chapter 2 and verse 24. Let's read that along with me. Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh, and they were both naked, the man and his wife, and they were not ashamed. Now, I read that to kind of point something out here. Jesus is saying he want, he's praying for us to be unified just as he is with the Father, and the Father in him, all right? And, of course, you could add the Holy Spirit there. We know the Godhead as being one, the triune, the, un, the trinity, and, uh, the Godhead as and, and one, and three different distinct personalities or persons. In the same way, we could see marriage that way, right? You may have heard a lesson or two on that. How marriage is kind of a, a symbol of the Trinity. God joins man and woman together, they become one flesh. Now he's talking about the physical side of it there. But as Christians, it's, we become together in one spirit in a sense, right? We are one in a marriage. And by the way, notice what's said there, it's man and woman. It's not man to man or woman to woman. Just, I digress a little bit there. I want to throw that out there. But, anyways, it's a symbol. It becomes a symbol of the Godhead. He's saying he wants his disciples to be one, unified, just as he is with the Father. That's a powerful statement if you think about it, because he wants us to be unified with God, the creator of the universe. Powerful statement. As he and the Father are one, together, we can be unified with the Father and the Son in the same way. And what else? There, there's a purpose to this, right? There's a purpose to this oneness, this unity that Jesus desires, right? And what's he say? He says that the world may believe that the Father sent the Son. You see, he he prayed that he knew that he the disciples knew that the Father had sent him. So so he's praying. I know that they know this. I have taught them this. They understand that the Father sent him, right? They may not fully get it all yet and grasp what that means to them, but they know. He's kept them. He's taught them these things. And by the unity that we have with each other and through him, the world will be able to see that as well, to see that the Father sent him. Also, the the world may know that the Father sent Jesus and loved the world, loved us, loved those who are believers, right? And of course, He talks about the means to that oneness. Look at verse 22 there. Read that again uh, with me. And the glory which you gave me I have given them, that they may be one just as we are one. You see, when we're unified, when we're together, when we are following the commands of God, when we are living as children of God, we are showing the glory of God in Christ. We are glorifying God in everything we're doing in that way. Here's what I want to talk about. I mentioned about the children of God. In your outlines, uh, Mr. Copeland talks about some quotes. He had some quotes from B.W. Johnson. He wrote some commentaries, and he offers some insight into that glory. He says, God gave Christ the glory of sonship, and this resulted in their unity. In other words, he's saying God sent the Son, and they were unified because of that sonship he gave them. So Christ gives his disciples the glory of becoming sons of God. And we can read that in John chapter 1. This glory, the adoption, and the gift of the Spirit should affect that they be one as we we are one. In other words, as we are unified, we become children of God. God gave Christ's sonship, and through our belief in Him and through our belief in Christ, we become children of God. We are unified. We are one family. We're one group, one entity in that way. Adam Clark writes it. He says, I communicated to all. He says Jesus' words in this way. I have communicated to all those who believe or shall believe in me the glorious privilege of becoming sons of God, that being all adopted children of the same father, they may abide in peace, love, and unity. You see, John 3:16 said, God so loved the world that he gave his, his begotten, only, only begotten son. He loved the world, but that doesn't mean the world is going to be saved, all the world, only those who believe, only those who become sons of God. So there is a love for the sons of God that he's talking about here, a unity that we have with him, unified in fellowship, sonship, just as Christ was with him. What an wonderful thing. Another reason he's, he's praying this is that we behold his glory. Look over there in verse 24 again. He says, Father, I desire that they also whom you gave me may be with me where I am, that they may behold my glory which you have given me or he talked about the first part of this prayer where he says father glorify your son in other words put me back put me back to where i was before the creation world i want that glory put me establish that glory again and he's praying here he wants us to be able to witness that glory we can't we can't yet in the flesh the disciples couldn't at the time they're not they're still in the flesh they can't witness that glory and he's going back but he's praying for that he's praying that we behold his glory that is in heaven as he had mentioned earlier in John 14, using the futuristic present form of speech. And let's just turn over there, John 14, and let's read again what he said there. We studied this a few weeks ago, but let's look at verse one. Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions, and if it were not so, I would have told you, I I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself that where I am, there you may be also. And where I go, you know, and the way, you know. You see, he's going back to the Father where he's preparing a place for us as sons of God, as children of God. We can't witness that glory he has in heaven yet, but he wants us to. He's praying for that. He's praying that we'll behold his glory. And we can see some of that here while we're on earth, right? We can see some of the... When you see fruit, right, from from serving in the kingdom, from working in the vineyard, you kind of behold a little bit of that glory, right? We're glorifying God in that respect. And that's not something that's necessarily tangible, something we can just see, right? Not something that we're going to, like we can, we're going to be able to see in heaven, right? <clears throat> what a glorious time that's going to be, right? What a joyful time that's going to be. Well, about a year or two ago, a couple of years ago, we did a study on angels. Remember that? Some of you were in this class. And we talked about what heaven looks like and some of the uh, scriptures we looked at where it kind of described things in a physical nature, trying to help us understand what the heavenly host was like, you know? And of course, we can't imagine what that's like in the flesh, but it was magnificent sounding, right? It sounds, it puts a picture in mind of just a multitude of, of angels, of, of, of the light that's just shining forth from God and the power and the joy that everybody is feeling and, and knowing, you know, in that environment, in heaven. What a, what a wonderful thing to think about, that we, he wants us to behold that glory. And we talked a little about what eternity is in the future, right? And what really it is about heaven that's gonna be so great. You know, we're, we're not gonna be sorrowful, we're not gonna have death anymore, no more sin, no more sorrow but we're gonna be with God. We're gonna be with him forever. And in that sense, we're with him now, not physically, in spirit, but we don't seem physically, but we are with him. That's what's gonna make heaven so great. That joy is gonna be fulfilled through seeing his glory, through being with God, beholding his glory. He wants us to behold his glory that was given to him by the Father. If you read the rest of verse 24 there, he says, for you love me, before the foundation of the world. He gave him that glory, even though he sent him to die for us. Remember, Jesus. Said, scripture says he lowered himself a little lower than the angels, became flesh for us, became a sacrifice for us. So, what is he doing here? He's trying. He wants. He's praying for unity. He's praying that we would be able to behold his glory. He wishes we could be with him, but he has to leave, and we have to stay. We have to be here in the world to take care of things. Let's turn over to Revelation. I I want to read a passage from Revelation chapter 5 just to talk about His glory a little bit there because it's something that it's so hard to grasp sometimes, right? What what does that mean, the glory of God? And Revelation is very figurative, right? We have some very figurative pictures of visions we see. But if you ever were wondering that, go to Revelation and just read some of this stuff and understand, you don't have to understand exactly what all these things mean, but look at the picture. Think of the picture in your mind, the, the, the power, the fantastic um, images that are there. Verse Chapter five, verse six. Now when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the Lamb, each having a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song, saying, you are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain and have redeemed us to God by your blood, out of every tribe and tongue and people and nation, and have made us kings and priests to our God, and we shall reign on the earth. And then I looked and heard the voice of many angels around the throne, the living creatures and the elders, and the number of them was 10,000 times 10,000 and thousands of thousands, saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom, and strength and honor and glory and blessings. And every creature which is in heaven and on the earth and under the earth and such as are in the sea and all that are in them I heard saying, blessing and honor and glory and power be to him who sits on the throne and to the lamb forever and ever. And then the four living creatures said, amen. And the 24 elders fell down and worshiped him who lives forever and ever. Now this is a vision, it's it's a very figurative passage. But doesn't that make you think about what heaven is like? Tens of thousands of thousands of tens times thousands thousands. Tens of thousands. And we can't grasp that, right? We can't understand what that's going to be like in the flesh. But I know this. Every knee is going to bow, whether you believe or not. Every soul is going to know he is the lamb who has become king, reigning in the kingdom forever and ever. Powerful statement. You need to be a child of God. You need to be there to see that, right? Well, talks about the means. Talks about what that's going to uh, do, what, what that means for us in the future, those who are taught by the apostles. And then also, he prays something else. Look at verse 23. I in them and you and me, that they may be made perfect in one and that the world may know that you have sent me and have loved them as you have loved us. He wishes that the Father would love them as he's loved us. What's that mean exactly? Well, first of all, he loved us so much that he sent his only begotten son. Of course, we can read that in John 3:16, right? Turn over to 1 John. Great passage here, I want to look at 1 John chapter uh, 4. Let's just read that. 1 John chapter 4. Uh, let's begin in verse 7. He says, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God. And everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. He who does not love does not know God, for God is love. In this, the love of God was manifested toward us that God has sent His only begotten Son into the world that we might live through Him. And this is love. Not that we loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. God is love. John's saying in his letter here, God is love. And through that love, being pure love, He sent his son to be a propitiation for our sin. We didn't deserve that. We didn't. Nothing we could do to deserve that, right? To grasp it, to earn it. Nothing we could do. Pure love sent his son. He's asking the father would love love us as he had loved them. That's a powerful statement right there. Of course, God loved us. We already read that man through scripture, but Jesus is praying that. He's saying that again. And by the way, what's that say about prayer? Interesting point there, just a side note. What's that say about prayer? We can be assured of things, right? We can know that we have promises, but we still need to be praying about it, right? There's something about that prayer, that constant unceasing prayer, asking God for his blessing, his promises, wanting to know what his will is for us praising him for his love for us that is something that helps us it helps us grow can't explain that necessarily but it's a wonderful thing we see jesus praying this it's jesus desire that we love one another just as he had loved us we have already studied this quite a bit but let's turn back over to john chapter 14 and let's read a couple of verses from there again. Verse 19, John chapter 14, verse 19. A little while longer and the world will see me no more, but you will see me. Because I live, you will live also. At that day you will know that I am in my Father and you in me and I in you. He who has my commandments and keeps them, it is he who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father and I will love him and manifest myself to him. And then verse 23, Jesus answered and said to him, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word. And my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. How do we show our love for what he's done for us? It's simple, we keep the commandments. We do his will. And I don't mean that to say legalistically where we're just following the rules, no. We do it because we love him for what he has done for us. That's how we do it. It's right there. The gospel of love tells us exactly how to do it. We keep his commandments. Going back to uh, the book of Daniel, one of the most wonderful things I love about Daniel, and it's, Daniel's a wonderful study. We actually studied Daniel a couple years ago, but the, the images of Daniel are so powerful. And I don't know if you remember, But there's a passage passage, uh, later on in the book where he's by the river praying and the angel comes to him and says, Daniel, you are beloved. And and it's an interesting point because you say, well, 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 that's such a powerful statement for the angel to say. That's the first thing he says to him. Daniel, you are beloved. Now he's come to tell him some things that's going to happen, but why does he say that first? It's an interesting statement to me. Maybe, that, maybe, maybe that's not something you've ever thought about. But it makes me think, why is Daniel so loved? And of course, this is before Christ. He has prophecies and things like that to know about. that. But, but this is before Christ. This is still under the old law. But the reason is, Daniel's keeping the law. Well, sure, he's not doing it perfectly, but he's keeping the law. And he's beloved. He's beloved for that reason. Interesting. We can see that in John right there. We know Daniel was loved because of his love for God and his willingness to do what God said. Willingness to carry out his doctrine just like Jesus said he did in the prayer. Just like Jesus said, I have loved you and I have shown the disciples your will. I've shown the disciples that you sent me because of his love for them. So Jesus desire for us, Expressing his prayers to be unified first, behold his glory second, and be loved by his Father, God. How do we react to that? How are we, as children of God, as sons of God, to react to that? Well, of course, first, you've got to become one, right? You've got to have that faith, that faith that moves you to repent, change your heart be willing to confess his name in any and every situation you're ever in and be baptized into him, raised in newness of life, walking in the light, walking in the kingdom. No longer of the world, which we read a lot in the Gospel of John, remember? No longer living a life that's worldly, thinking, no longer thinking like the world probably seen a lot of things recently in the news about things in this world that are going on or particularly in this nation that you think that just doesn't make any sense. Have you thought that? Well I have and I've heard Jolene over there saying that doesn't make any sense. Why is that? Well I hope that's because our thinking is a little more around the kingdom and not of the world. I don't want to make that sound boastful or anything. But I would hope that we have a different uh, antenna raised up, right? That's not of the world. So we're going to pick up on things that we know is right and wrong and we're going to say that's not right. And we can judge in that sense. We can discern. Things have been revealed to us through His Word that we know are of the kingdom, and then we can see things that are of the world. And he tells us to be of the kingdom, not of this world. He prays for the disciples because they are not of the world. They are of the kingdom. Keep that in mind as you go through your life. You are of the kingdom. You've been sanctified. You've been set apart. You're no longer of the world. Sure, you got to live in it, but you're not part of the world anymore. Powerful thing. Turn over to Ephesians chapter 4, and let's read them powerful few verses here. I love these verses. They're so good. Ephesians chapter 4. Read them with me and keep these in mind. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1. <clears throat> I, therefore, the prisoner of the Lord beseech you to walk worthy of the calling with which you were called, with all lowliness and gentleness, with longsuffering, bearing with one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Notice these next few verses. There is one body, one spirit, just as you were called, in one hope. And by the way, that's that hope that we are assured of. One hope of your calling. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all, and in you all. I believe there's seven ones there. The first thing we need to do is being preserved in unity of the Spirit, in oneness. Keeping the seven ones, understanding, studying, serving, being in prayer about them, understanding what that's about. Unity. Attaining unity of mind and judgment. Turn over to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. 1 Corinthians chapter 1. And if you know, if you study 1 Corinthians, which I know we have, you know what the first chapter of 1 Corinthians is dealing with, right? Paul's having to deal with the visions in the church of Corinth. Those who are saying they are following a certain person, you know, Paul or Apollos or others, and not following Christ. And, Jesus, and Paul's writing to them to say, you need to be unified. Not of Apollos, not of Paul. And he even says, thankfully I didn't baptize any of you because so you'd think you were of me. Look at chapter... One verse 10 now I plead with you brethren by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ that you all speak the same thing and that there be no divisions among you but that you be perfectly joined together in the same mind and in the same judgment for it has been declared to be concerning you my brethren by those of Chloe's household that there are contentions among you now I say this that each of you says I'm a Paul or I'm of Apollos, or I'm Cephas or I'm a Christ is Christ divided was Paul crucified for you, or were you baptized in the name of Paul? I thank God that I baptized none of you except Crispus and Gaius, lest anyone should say that I have baptized in my own name. Yes, I also baptized the household of Stephanus. Besides, I do not know whether I baptized any other. For Christ did not send me to baptize but to preach the gospel, not with the wisdom of words, lest the cross of Christ should be made of no effect. In other words, Paul is saying, I want you to be unified. You need to be in unity. You're not of Paul or Peter, you're of Jesus Christ, the purchase of this blood. Attain that unity of mind and judgment. Turn over to Philippians, and let's look at chapter 2. These are wonderful verses, so if I'm going too fast on these, somebody let me know. Philippians chapter 2, verse 1. Therefore, if there is any consolation in Christ, if there is any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, If any affection and mercy fulfill my joy by being like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind, let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than himself. Let each of you look out not only for his own interest, but also for the interests of others. Do we look out for the interest of others, particularly in the church? Sometimes we might not do that, perhaps, right? Sometimes we're kinda looking more on our interests than others. That's part of that unity thing, guys. That's part of being unified, one. We are one together, just like a marriage. Do you consider your spouse ahead of yourself? God considered you ahead of himself, he sent his only son. In that same sense, unity requires us to consider others ahead of ourselves. That's one way we show it. What else does he ask us to do? To walk in faith. Turn over to Hebrews chapter three. Let's look at something there. And I know we're jumping around a little bit in here, but these are, these are wonderful verses and passages. To keep in mind. And and more so because it applies to us in this day. Hebrews chapter 3, beginning in verse uh, 12. Beware, brethren, lest there be any of you an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God, but exhort one another daily, while it is called today, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. For we have become partakers of Christ if we hold the beginning of our confidence steadfast to the end. While it is said, today, if you will hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. We've got to walk in faith. That's a response. And we have to stay steadfast until the end. There is a danger of developing a heart of unbelief. The deceitfulness of sin creeps in. Sometimes you don't even realize it. There is a danger of falling away. Hebrews tells us that. Hebrews is really good about telling us that, the Hebrew writer. If we want to have the crown of life that we read about in Revelation 2, in the end, we need to stay steadfast, remain faithful till death. That we might do what? Behold his glory. That's he's praying here, right? He wants us to behold his glory and I want to too, don't you? What else are we required to do? Turn over to Matthew 22. I mentioned this verse many times recently, but we're gonna read it, we're gonna read it today. And keep up with where this is, because this comes up a lot, particularly when you're talking to someone. Matthew 22, verse 34. But when the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together. Then one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question, testing him and saying, Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Now he's referring to the old law, right? And what the answer is going to be is referring to the old law, but it applies to us as well today. 37, Jesus said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and great commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. What he's saying is, even under the old law, it's about love. It's not about just keeping the commandments or keeping the law, which couldn't be done. It's about loving God with all your heart, your soul, and your mind. So, what are we to do? Walk in faith, be unified, and to walk in love. Love for the Father, just as He has loved us. As I've already mentioned, we do that by keeping His commandments. We know what to do by what He has revealed for us, and therefore we walk in that. So, if we take His prayer seriously, and I hope you do, greatest prayer ever prayed, we're going to walk in union, we're going to walk in faith, and we're going to walk in love. I know it's getting late. You may have heard in the past of churches splitting and things like that, right? That's not good. That's not a good thing. Churches need to be unified. Brethren need to love each other as they love God. And if that happens, you're never going to have an issue like that, right? If you're truly looking out for each other, you're not going to have issues like that. So let me encourage you to keep walking in the light as 1 John 1 says, that you may share in the fellowship with God and Jesus, and that our joy may be full. You can have an abundant life in this life. You're living in eternity. What a great promise that is. <clears throat> and here's another one I forgot to mention. Kay is going to be having a cardio pit scan this Friday, so please remember Kay in your prayers as well. Um, the time is up. You're dismissed.